I'm Kevin Christopher Robles. Ordinarily, Jeff Umbrell, my gallant co-host, would be here, but he had to take a ram van up to Rose Hill, so I'm by myself. Oh. Oh, hey, Kevin. Can I do the intro with you? Alyssa? You know what? Sure. <laughs> hey, everyone. Looks like I'm going to be joined by Alyssa Morales, Retrospect's brand new producer. She'll be helping Jeff and I for the remainder of the season. I'm looking forward to scheduling interviews and filling in occasionally. Well, now that that's out of the way... I'm Kevin Christopher Robles. And I'm Alyssa Morales. Today, we speak with Associate Dean Mary Bly on her double life as a tenured professor and as best-selling romance novelist Eloisa James. Then, Jeff Umbrell leads a discussion with former USG president and alumnus Leighton Magoon, where he reflects on his time as head of the student government. Finally, Drew Bernstein speaks of the issues of being vegan on a campus that doesn't adequately serve vegans. This is Retrospect, the official podcast of the Fordham Observer. Joining us now is Associate Dean of Fordham Lincoln Center, Mary Bly. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. So, Dean Bly, can you very quickly just give us a rundown of where exactly Eloisa James, your pen name, came from? Well... I was a junior professor, so I couldn't publish under my own name. At that time, I was teaching at Washington University in St. Louis. And I was in Italy with my husband, who's Italian, and I was pregnant. And I saw a signpost that said, call Eloisa, lose 20 pounds in 20 days, but in Italian, chiam Eloisa. And I said, oh, we should name our daughter that. And my husband said, that's very nouveau riche, no way, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, fine, I'll name myself that, that. So there's a sort of talked about story when it comes to Eloisa James. You had to sort of hide that identity for a little while, at least until you got tenure. Is that apocryphal or is that how, like, what is the veracity of that story? No, that's absolutely true. That's completely true. <laughs> I, um, I moved from Washington University to, uh, to Fordham. And at that point, People Magazine was taking my second book and they were making me page turner of the week. And if I gave them a photograph, I would get a larger amount of the page. You at the Observer know that a third versus a half is a big deal. So my my publisher at that point said, let's do it. And I went to the chair of English at that point, and he said, let's not do it because you won't get tenure because this is a Jesuit school. I will say I, I kept it under wraps until I got tenure and until I'd hit 1 through 15 on the New York Times, which is really the gold standard. I sort of started hitting lower um, long before that. But as it happened, Fordham has been enormously encouraging of my career. And in fact, right after I came out, out so to speak, they started trotting me around to development events. I've been on tour with Father McShane. I'm attached to the development office. So they've never shown any shame at all. Recently, I believe there was a photo of you and Father McShane at an event in English Connect, the website for the Fordham English program. Uh, has he expressed any thoughts and opinions in your career as a novelist? He seems to be in favor. I mean, I've, I've gone down to Texas with him to read. I know we went to Florida to meet people. And I had a hand in Mary Higgins Clark, establishing the Mary Higgins Clark creative writing professorship. And I think for Mary, she wanted that professorship to celebrate the kind of literature that is not usually celebrated in university. So her own. She's, she really defined the genre of suspense literature and was the first you know, woman to write in it 
but she defined it as being around danger to children. And so for her, I think the fact that I was here and that Father McShane was perfectly happy having a popular fiction person gave her more of a sense that Fordham did celebrate what she did, that we don't just, you know, want her money or something. We're actually very, very proud of her. Do you remember what the response was like when you originally revealed that you were Eloisa James from your colleagues, from administrators, and from students in particular? Well, they made me go around to all the deans, right? I had to have an interview with every single one of the deans at Rose Hill, Lincoln Center, GSAS. And at that point, one of the funny things was there was a woman running the grad school, and she said, Eloisa James, Eloisa James, wait, I've read your books. <laughs> and I was like, well, you know, my picture's on the back. I was running the graduate program for English at that point. I was like, I talk to you all the time. But she did something a lot of readers do, which is that, you know, your, your escape reading is in a category of its own. You never think, like, the person you're meeting who's arguing with you about having more graduate paid lines is the person who might have read that book. <laughs> and, you know, a lot of readers don't necessarily pay that much attention to names. Everyone pretty much was celebratory in the administration. And I think my department was kind of boggled. But they started trading books, like, based on the covers. I can't say I have any readers, very intent readers, except for one very devout reader in the medieval studies program. Excellent. Um, Do you have any funny stories about having to manage your double life, like, here at Fordham? Fordham is one thing, but I also... I'm a Shakespearean, so like one of the oddest things that happened to me, I did a lot of dual things as I was building the careers in both places. So like the Shakespeare Association met here one year, and then the Romance Writers of America met the next year, which was uh, next month, with the American Library Association. So I went to talk to them as Eloisa, because Eloisa tends to be trotted out to speak to intellectual groups, and that's just because, you know, I, I'm not afraid of public speaking and many authors are and you know I have the academia so if someone gets hostile in the audience I just say you know where'd you go to school or something (laughs) as diminishing as I can be but I had given a talk to the librarians of America and I was walking down the street with my best friend from Columbia and she said Mary that all those people are waving at you and it's a big glass front with restaurant and I looked over there and they were unmistakably librarians and there was a ton (laughs) of them and I said oh it must be a mistake and I walked on but that was one of the moments when I realized this is this is not tenable it's as if I'm ashamed of my other life and I'm not and and so then I was I just made up my mind as soon as I got tenure that was it I was going to tell Fordham and see what happened was there sort of a fear that things wouldn't work out if that happened oh my my chair at the time thought I wouldn't get tenure so I mean I would call that a problem I mean I've run creative writing but they were very resistant to like judging me on that I'm judged as Shakespearean but I like one year I keynoted the Shakespeare Association of America which is thousands of Shakespeareans and the same year three months later I keynoted the Romance Writers of America so I had to build them at the same time and I actually think that's a wonderful way to go. Like, I think we spend way too much time saying, I'm going to be a journalist. And then you're thinking of yourself just doing journalism all day long. Or I'm going to be an accountant, God forbid. Or <laughs> I'm going to be, you know, if you could think of yourself as able to do two things, which you certainly are, and if one of them is creative, it can really build the other one. They can build each other. Obviously, you're associate dean, but you're also an English professor. So do you have any sort of advice for people who may be aspiring writers and novelists or creatives here at Fordham, of which there are a lot. 
They're done. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's so much advice I can give. I mean, at the moment, I run something which I call a writing salon. And at the moment, it's meeting on Tuesdays, 1 to 2.30, if anyone's interested. And what we do is just go into a seminar room, turn off your phone. Everyone has to have freedom on their computer or another app of that kind that cuts off the internet. And we do 25-minute writing sprints. 25 minutes on, 5 minutes off, 20 minutes, you know, 5 minutes to talk about it. And I'm not doing this for the students, frankly. I mean, I love all you guys. I'm doing it for <laughs> me because I've been doing these, you know, as associate dean. I'm getting up at 5 in the morning two days a week and doing these 25-minute writing sprints, and it's super exhausting. And then I realized I could just schedule it into my day. So that is my advice. Schedule writing into your day. And don't fetishize it. Don't make it into this huge thing. You're just going to sit down for 25 minutes and you're going to write utter schlock. That's fine. Everybody writes terrible stuff. You can edit a page with words. You can't edit a blank page. And you can, you know, if you think I've got to write the greatest novel of the year, you're never going to write it. Just take the pressure off yourself. So I've got to write something that I like. That's the key, right? I get a lot of people, and this goes if you want to go into publishing too, because when you go and have an interview in a publishing company, they call me later and they say, you know, I asked her what she liked to read and she said Jane Austen. And, you know, you just shot yourself in the foot, if not the head, because they don't want that, right? You've got to be reading what's going on now and you've got to want to write what's going on now, something you love. And then just write it. That's my biggest advice. Well, thank you so much for coming. Great. Thank you very much for having me. On April 1st, Jeff and Alyssa called former USG President Leighton Magoon to get his thoughts on the then-upcoming student government election. Due to its nature as a phone interview, we apologize in advance for any audio that may be hard to understand. Hi, Leighton. This is Jeff and Alyssa. Hi, Leighton. Hi. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Alyssa. And so you obviously served as USG president. So I was wondering if you could just give us a brief you know, overview of your time as president and you know what were some of your biggest accomplishments that you felt you got done and what would you perhaps have liked to done more of? organizing, 
I believe uh, the positive is they started under a different name when I was president, but then they took up that name. Um, and, you know, ever since then, we've really been partnered with other groups on campus. Um, you know, I think, you know, it's sort of, the, sort of the same vein as a lot of my predecessors that you always go in with a lot of high hopes of, like, trying to make USG as big as it possibly can and trying to stand by the moniker that everyone's a member of USG. Um, but then, of course, due to either time constraints or, like, you know, administrative work that you have to do, you always feel like some of the bigger priorities, such as, like, I think I, too, wanted to do, like, a monthly newsletter or something or, like, a semester recap letter that kind of went by the wayside when it turned out that we were really busy. Um, so... You know, I felt like we did a lot of great work at that time, but similarly, um, you know, things fall behind, um, as they always do, unfortunately. So I'm not sure if you've been following these elections, but voting actually opens tomorrow for the presidential candidates. Yeah. So I was wondering what the campaign process was like for you, because these candidates are now finishing their campaigns. And, you know, what were the biggest challenges of the process and, you know, if it was tiring at all for you? Time that I ran, I ran an election. It was as as this is um, as this current election I've heard is it is a contested election um, between two candidates that have very you know polar opposite views as to what they see USG doing, which is fantastic because USG if it's stuck in the same you know the same people that are running, like you know it does always need to sort of like refresh. To refresh and sort of what USG's identity is, but that was kind of a similar, kind of a similar process when I first ran. Where um, the person that I was running against was going to be a rising senior, and I was going to be a rising junior. Um, and we both had had been on the board, um, and we both felt that we were the right people for the job. And so it can be it can be stressful because a lot of times the people that you're running against are people who you served with on, on USG, and it's it can be hard and it can be stressful because it's, you know, the whole process of trying to bring out the vote and, you know, trying to really um, set up a platform, stick by your platform and debate and debate and advocate for your platform. But, you know, in the end, the Fordham Lincoln Center student body ultimately decides. And I can say that, you know, when I was president and since I've been president, that they always, you know, they always vote for the right candidate that thinks that the best interest of USG. So I don't doubt that that'll be the same thing to get this year. So all of the candidates this year, you know, have stressed that they want USG, like you said, to be more of a visible presence on campus. So what, what do you think the best way for USG to do that would be? Um, you know, I really think, like, I love to have the in that Instagram account, and so it always nice to follow it, even as an alumni, which you know, they seem kind of lame, but I still love to see them use it. Um, you know, posting on Facebook, you know, doing, posting statements on Facebook, um, having a mailing list, I think, was always really good, utilizing, like, the community posting board or any other posting boards out there. Um, I've heard, even as an alumni, I've heard great things about what, like, the sort of Friday, you know, back in my day, it sounded like an old person we had, Thursdays, because to hear to hear this new newfangled Ford of Friday is doing really darn well. That's off the year too. Just 
sure, like simple things like that can go a long way, and not falling into the you know cynical, cynical view that no one's going to pay attention about student government or you know clubs on campus because they're full custody. People do care. Like if in you know events like those and like again like the Border Fridays and like Winter Ball show that you know there is an interest for clubs and student government. And I think I think there so far there's been a lot of great ways that this current new student administration and other folks, you know, have really stepped it up on that. And if they continue doing that, I think more people will get involved, knock on wood. So what advice would you give these candidates and or future candidates? Be sure to rest. Don't think that, um, don't think that this is the deal and all you are still a full-time student. Uh, Don't let it, don't get so over-occupied that it's, don't focus on anything else because schoolwork is just as important. Um, but trivial notes aside, you know, listen, there's always listening to the student body. You know, the biggest regret of, you know, having graduated is that I haven't been able to visit, you know, Fordham Lincoln Center and the student body in, you know, in well over a year or almost a year. And those connections and the students that you serve are the lifeblood of Fordham Lincoln Center. Um, and they deserve the best possible you and the best possible president or vice president or senator or keyboard position that, you know, that you could possibly deliver. So always think about the students in this process and always be sure that um, you're representing them in the best possible way because that's exactly what they deserve the best. Great. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for speaking with us today, Leighton. We are joined by Drew Bernstein, who wrote the article, Smoothies Don't Count as Dinner. So, Drew, your article centers around the sort of lack of options that vegans have on campus. Can you give us a quick rundown of just how bad the situation is? The biggest problem, I think, is that, like, although there are options, they're they're kind of the unchanging ones in the way that, you know, there's pizza all the time, there's the burgers all the time, there's the salad bar all the time, and there are options among those, but they're, they're not good, and we don't get the same sort of every day there's a new meal option, and although there sometimes is something, a lot of times what's supposed to be the vegan vegetarian station has something that's not viable, that's not vegan, or <laughs> that isn't a meal. So... Do you think this is a sort of systemic issue for Aramark, or do you think that this is something that the university can help fix? I feel like this is an issue in, like, every college, I think. But I do know that there's, like, a couple really easy changes that can happen that'll make it better for all of us. Do you have the same issue with the vegan options in the Ram Cafe as you do with the dining hall? No, honestly, no. Um, Especially because they added tofu bowl making and they added the Beyond Burger, which is a good veggie burger, to their grill station. And though I do have to say the vegan options are so much more expensive at the Ram Cafe than anything else is, which is frustrating. But they do have them. So I think the Ram Cafe is honestly one of the best places to go if you're a vegan. So you mentioned that there were some really easy solutions that could be implemented that would help alleviate the problem. What are some of those ways? My two big ones are one, vegan butter. 
for breakfast. Just the ability to make toast would be very nice. Those are pretty cheap. They find them in 24-hour diners a lot. And two is just keeping jumping greens open every day and always having like a real meal there. You know, not doing smoothies or taco salad, which is just nachos. And yeah, it's only open on weekdays now. We also eat on weekends, so it'd be nice if it was open on weekends too. So it sounds like that this is not only a sort of health issue, but also a financial one. The vegan options tend to be more expensive than the regular options. I mean, kind of used to that though, because in the, you know, in the real world, that's also usually true. Though in the real world, there's usually ways to make it cheaper for yourself. And here, you don't really have that option. How are the, how are the vegan options in the freshman dining hall? Because I know that freshmen or those who are dorming at least need to have a meal plan like it's required, right? Yeah. I dorm in McMahon, which means I'm mostly in the dining hall because I'm really lazy. But yeah, so freshmen are required to have a meal plan and they're not cheap. And they also don't really have the option to make themselves food. So when I'm talking to other freshmen who are also vegan, who don't have the luxury of having a kitchen, you know, they have to eat there or they have to spend a bunch of money outside to, you know, buy, you know, ready-made meals or whatever. And so having that lack of options, having these really not good options, it's it's a real problem. It means they either have to give up their ideals or they can't eat. Is this sort of a shared concern among vegans on campus, do you think? Yeah, I mean, we definitely complain about it together a lot. <laughs> I don't have that many friends who are vegan, but when I do, and vegetarian too, when I talk, do talk to them about it, it's always a little bit like a, I mean, it's kind of a joke at this point. So, Drew, do you have any final pieces of advice or anything you'd like to say to anyone who might be also suffering from the lack of options on campus? It could be worse. I spent spring break in Ken- at Kenyon College, and they tried to pass off something that had an egg on top as vegan. So, yeah. (laughs) But yeah, no, really, if you're in the freshman dorms now, next year you'll have a kitchen, so it will get better. (laughs) All right, well, you heard it here first, folks. If you're a freshman, it'll get better. Thanks for joining us, Drew. Thank you. So... Thanks for filling in, Alyssa. No problem, Kevin. You want to sign us out? Sure. This has been Retrospect. I'm Alyssa Morales. And I'm Kevin Christopher Robles. Until next time. <laughs>